Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Bryn Rogers. Bryn currently works as the program manager at the Boston MSPCA Adoption Center. Bryn manages the Adoption Center's events as well as the foster care and volunteer program. Bryn also works on spay-neuter programs and events at the MSPCA. Bryn, her husband, and beautiful daughter, Violet, live with a very special cat named Freddie. Bryn, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So how did you get started in animal welfare as a, as a young one? <laughs> well, I think whenever you're interested in animals and you love animals, the first thing people say is, oh, you're going to be a veterinarian. And in high school, I actually interned um, with my pet's veterinarian for a day. And after the fourth time, I'm not joking, of passing out watching a spay surgery, um, I decided that that might not be the path I go down. Pretty recently thereafter, I went, I did, a, I took a photo class in high school and I had, I wanted to go to an animal shelter and I hadn't been to an animal shelter since I was a little kid when we adopted our um, dog from there. And when I went, I just, I think it's one of those experiences just remember forever. And I just kind of was hit by that juxtaposition of how I viewed my animals, how important they were to me and, you know, how cherished and pampered they were to this dog that just was looking at me and, you know, concrete floor, cage, paws on the cage, just is staring at me, barking, all the other dogs around me barking. And I just thought, how does this happen? And, and how can I help this dog and all the other dogs and cats in the future? So I knew that's where I wanted to take my career path from the very beginning. So that's sort of how I first got started. And then I volunteered throughout my time in, in high school and college. And then after I graduated college, that's when I started working in animal shelters. And I'd forgotten that you had mentioned that you sort of have a bit of a graphic design bent and you talked about photography. So I think that's really an excellent tool to have going into animal welfare because you're profiling animals so often. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, especially with all the flyers that we do and everything being online now, it helps to really think about the information you're putting out there and making it you know, user-friendly and something that catches people's eyes. Actually, the other night, many people know that I help run the Boston Homeless Cats meeting, which I know, unfortunately, you couldn't be there, but the people were talking about the way that you profile the Shire cats. Sometimes you'll take a big blow-up picture of the cat and put their picture in the cage, but not necessarily have them shown directly right out on the floor to be able to get them profiled more actively. So I thought that was a pretty neat idea that was presented at that meeting. Yeah, I think that's a Mike Kiley special for those of you who like. I can't take credit for that. Um, that was something I think him and his staff created and uh, we immediately stole. And that's the thing. There's so many, you know, so many programs that I always say I'm better at being a copycat than an original um, because there's so much out there that other shelters are doing. And um, especially with all the webinars and podcasts like these, it's you can learn so much from each other. That's one of the things that we do, um, especially in the slower months, like right now our adoption floor is full, unfortunately. But when we can, you know, putting that cardboard cutout in the cage, um, it just causes people to really take that double take. Whereas right now, those printouts are on our, our 
front desk and people really don't look at it half as much as, as they do when they're behind the cages and ask about it. So it was a really neat idea for, for catching people's eyes. But that's one of the things that we're looking at now um, is uh, as our as our population changes in the shelter, using our foster care program a little bit differently. And one of the things that we struggle with and that we're looking for ways to advertise more is those shire cats that don't do well in the shelter environment. Um, we can often use our offices. We have some offices upstairs in our shelter where our development um, and programming staff work. So we can send cats into offices and, and it's amazing how much better their quality of life is and how their personality comes out. But it's harder because you, know, you can't walk into the shelter and physically see them. I think that's something that a lot of rescues struggle with too. Um, so advertising on PetFinder and other websites and creative ways to do that is something we're always looking at. I mean, a picture is so important, but also the write-ups are important in other ways to sort of get cats out there. It's easy to walk your dog with an adoption vest, but it can be a little bit more difficult with cats. Yeah, I have, I'm envisioning like a lineup of like nanny cam monitors up in your adoption area, sort of like what you do at the airport, you know, when your arrivals are with these different nanny cams of all the cats in the foster home rooms or something to see what they're doing, just to try and give them some visibility. No, it's a really good idea, actually. I might steal that one because um, <laughs> we have a great partnership with a company. So now you can see we have a live stream. So you can see our right now it's on our cat colony room. So you can watch the cats in the colony room. Um, and we we have that sometimes with our puppies too when we have puppies in the shelter so you get a lot of hits that way um, but it would be cool to do that we only have two right now that we can live stream but it would be cool to do that in offices too and have tv screens right on the adoption center so there you go that's a future what i see things in five years that's one of the things that um hopefully we'll be able to do Obviously, you work in the heart of Boston. How has things changed for community cats in Boston? Well, you know, I really have the pulse on how things have changed specifically here in the shelter because we're an open admission shelter, so we never turn an animal away. So I think we have a good pulse on homelessness and people's need for help with their cats or stray cats. And our intake in Boston has gone from around 5,000 when I first started in 2008 to around 2,000. And that includes, you know, owner surrenders, so people who can't keep their cats anymore in their homes and also stray cats and that they're found outside. So, you know, both of those numbers, if you look at them individually, have decreased by about 50%. So I like to think that things are going really well. I know there's definitely pockets in Boston that do still have a large outdoor cat population um, and many of those cats aren't spayed or neutered. So we do still have more work to do. But I think people are able to find resources a little bit better, much better than they were before. And, and I hope that we've been able to play a big part in that. That's a it's a phenomenal drop in the in the numbers. Are you willing to share what your live release rate is? Yeah, so it changes for each shelter. I think Boston is at 87% for cats for a live release rate. I need to double check the numbers with you uh, uh, offline, but I'm pretty sure you can quote me as 80, 87% live release rate for cats in Boston. Can you uh, share a little bit about the work that you uh, have done in uh, Roxbury and Dorchester and sort of what those populations or what those areas are like? Yeah, so what we did was um, we looked at the cats coming in and wanted to see where we could have the most impact. When we looked at what towns and specifically what zip codes were bringing us the most cats, it was really significant the amount that were coming from Roxbury zip codes and also Dorchester zip codes. So at the time we really needed to, we only had a certain amount of funds that we could use. So we really needed to narrow it to one specific zip code. So we started with that one zip code, which actually was hard for us as an organization. You want to help every animal. Um, you want to be able to lower the price 
for every animal. Um, but we started with one specific area, which was really helpful because you could see how quickly the numbers changed for that one specific zip code. So what we did is we started offering $10 spay neuter. And this was thanks to a grant from PetSmart Charities. Um, $10 spay neuter for owned cats and then free spay neuter for outdoor cats. And we did that for a year and you could immediately see the difference. So the zip code specifically for those people who are in Boston was 02119. And that zip code compared to the other zip codes in Roxbury and Dorchester, it went from being our number one zip code for intake for cats to being like our eighth in one year. And when you specifically broke it down for kittens, it was it had gone down even less. So right away, we knew that that was the key to our success um, because intakes really drive euthanasia. Um, as many people who work in, in shelters know, the less cats you get in, really the more resources you can put into each cat. So we, you know, we knew that the key to driving down intake was really offering spay neuter at a price that people could actually afford. And our previous prices of 50 to 75 just wasn't enough to get people in the door and get their cats spayed or neutered. So we applied again for our grants um, and we also created a group called the, our Cat Pickets, which are our donors that are focused on trying to help us be creative about how we work with our cats and increase our adoption rates um, and decrease our intake. So we were able to expand to Dorchester and Roxbury and we've been doing that, I believe, since 2012. And again, those, those zip codes looking at the decrease in numbers, they have gone down significantly compared to other zip codes. So we knew, you know, we're doing we're doing good work and that spay and neuter was really the key to decreasing the number of cats coming into the shelter, which means we can just do so much more for each cat that does come to us. And a lot of that project involved collaborating with other groups? Yeah, yeah. I think it helped in some ways bring us together um, because also a lot of the people who are feeding and trapping in those areas, there's a few people that do a bulk of the work um, and being able to provide them with spay neuter at a lower cost meant they could do a lot more because a lot of that money was coming out of their own pockets, um, which you can imagine after just trapping 10 cats and spaying and neutering them at 50 to $75, um, that's, you know, everyone's paycheck for the month. So um, decreasing it to free for those that are found outside made a big difference. And working with the groups to also help, um, we used a lot of our volunteer network too to just flyer the area and get the word out. Um, we did reach out to a lot of welfare organizations and community organizations in those communities to try to help spread the word. But a lot of it, too, is word of mouth. So once one person has a really good experience, we worked a lot to make sure that everyone felt comfortable with the process of spaying and neutering, understood what was happening, did follow up care if, if there were any medical issues because, you know, once one neighbor tells the other neighbor about the program and how great it was and how easy it was, that that spreads really quickly. So the popularity of the program really went through the neighborhoods, through the neighbors themselves, telling their friends and family about it. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Flashlight tag was fun when you were a kid, but no one wants to play hide and seek with their trap. Find your trap's location quickly and safely, even when you visit it at night, with the Reveal Wild application for Samsung Galaxy, HTC One, Sony, Xperia, and other Android phones. Or go to tinyurl.com forward slash Reveal Wild. What are your biggest challenges currently, and what do you see life being like for community cats going forward in Boston? I mean, I think funding is always something that we're looking into because we want to be able to offer that $10 or free price to even more zip codes, but also be targeted about it because we see that when you are focusing on an area, you really need to make sure you're hitting that area hard. So being able to ride a high number of spay neuter at a low cost is going to constantly be what we're working towards. So how to do that? 
being open five days a week for spay neuter, but also opening up our clinics to other groups that might be able to come in on Saturday or Sunday um, or start spaying and neutering every single day um, and making our making our shelter accessible. So I think for the future, the more we can offer low-cost spay neuter and the more we can help people really be in a focused area that we know we can cover and then move on to the next place. I think that's one thing that's hard too is that it doesn't stop as we all know um, for anybody who's been you know helping cats in the area is that there's a continual source of cats that are coming in and so we can't just get Roxbury done and then move on um, and that's one thing that we've been committed to is we, we never want to raise that price again in Roxbury and Dorchester and we also want to be able to branch out to other areas but I think we're still we're still focused on Roxbury and Dorchester and so I hope um, we're able to expand our resources even further into other communities as well I know we've been talking about um, Chelsea and Lynn um, which is a little bit you know that creates some more obstacles because it's it is farther away from us um, and that's one thing you know with stationary clinics and you are where you are um, but we definitely can work in in transport and um, there's definitely a lot of models out there that have been successful with that too so I think that's where the future and that's where we're going and hopefully we can continue to expand the resources and just make it easier for people um, to spay and neuter their animals. Being the uh, volunteer coordinator and foster home coordinator, I know those are huge areas of challenge for so many organizations and we only have so much time, but do you have any specific tips for success for people who are in those positions? You know, it's funny because I love my job in many ways because I do a little bit of everything, but I also hate my job sometimes because it's really hard to do a bit of everything. So we do have two people now. So I'm the manager, but I also have, we have a a program coordinator um, that does a lot of our orientations and our trainings for our volunteers. I think for advice, I think the foster care program is essential. We have started relying on our fosters to help our fosters. And that's been a big help for us. You know, you're one person and you have 150 or we have 150 cat fosters ready to go. And you start, you need to know, you know, what their, what their talents are, what their expertise are, and you need to know what you need to grow. (laughs) So for example, um, as our populations changed, we used to foster a lot for upper respiratory infection. We're seeing a lot of upper respiratory infection because we had a lot of cats in a crowded shelter. They were stressed out, their immune systems were lowered, and they caught a cold. Now it's very rare that we send cats to foster for URI just because we don't have any cats that are getting upper respiratory infection. But we do have a lot of cats that are still stressed in the shelter and behaviorally aren't doing well in the shelter, meaning they're in a cage, um, they don't want to be touched, um, they either hide or they become aggressive when we try to touch them, but they have a wonderful profile where we don't know anything about them because they came off the street, but we want to give them a chance because a lot of times these cats, it's just situational and being in a cage surrounded by other cats, um, the stress related to that is large. So foster homes can help us with those cats to better assess their behavior and see what path they can go on. Um, So we use our office fosters a lot for that um, just because we can keep tabs on them here in the shelter, but we're also starting to use our foster homes more for those shy cats um, because they can really blossom in those foster homes and become the cats that we heard they were from their past owners. Getting the training for that too, especially with feral kittens. Um, So we've seen a lot more feral kittens. The kittens that we have come in, I would say anecdotally, least half of them are from outdoor settings where they haven't had a lot of human interaction. So, you know, they're hissy and spitty and trying to be really scary when you go to pet them. And that does require some training from your volunteers um, and your foster care volunteers. So the training aspects and growing your foster care program by providing more trainings is really important. And we've utilized our foster parents to help train new foster parents. And that's been really essential. Um, And our foster parents now run our orientations, which is also really helpful because that just cuts out, you know, two hours 
hours of your day, but then you also get to know the foster parents when they come and pick up the animals. So we also do a lot more one-on-one when they're picking up the animals and we use our fosters for that too. So sometimes we'll arrange a pickup and the, the other foster parent will come and help with that pickup. So using fosters to help other fosters and using volunteers to train your volunteers. But our volunteer program, we used to have our staff train our volunteers and that just became really not feasible to do because we have eight adoption counselors and probably train about 100 volunteers a month. So once we built our volunteer program to a large enough state, we were able to have volunteers do the trainings for the new volunteers. Um, And that's really helpful because they work together in groups a lot. So we have like our Friday um, cat adoption monitors that, I forget what they call themselves, the Friday, the Fab Five on Friday, um, (laughs) that really bond together and that helps them come back too. So we found that those groups of volunteers and the volunteers helping the volunteers has really made a big difference in our program. So using those volunteers and fosters that you have to help your other your newer volunteers and fosters has made a big difference for us. Well, and the point that you're making that is excellent for all levels is the concept about delegating and being willing to delegate. Um, The one thing that I always felt, I was always sort of the backstop, you know, all this information or all these requests for help or whatever were coming to me. And I was stopping the process of assistance because I wasn't able to delegate out enough. And so you have to open up other channels for assistance and realize that other people need to be able to do stuff because you can't do everything yourself. And I, so I think that that's an important point, whether you're talking about a small organization or a larger organization is really asking others for help and assistance. And then you'll be able to scale your program and grow your program much larger by asking others to help. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all know we have those volunteers or foster parents that just impress you over and over and over again. Um, And you can ask more of them. You know, I'm always hesitant to ask people favors and ask people things. I've never been a good salesperson, but (laughs) they want to help, you know. And so if you have a foster who's really good with feral kittens, ask them to do a training on feral kittens um, or ask them to be sort of the check-in person. Because I like to, you don't want to send a cat to a kitten to foster that's feral and not follow up with them, right? But to try to follow up with the 50 kittens you have in in foster can be exhausting and you can't give them all the resources they need to give. So if you have a foster that you know is really stellar, they might even know more than you. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned is that, you know, right now, probably I would say a majority of our dog volunteers are better with um, dogs and dog behavior than I am. So, you know, you have to know your strengths and your weaknesses and also um, be able to ask for help when you need it. Um, And it's amazing what people will do um, to help your organization and and they enjoy it. So trusting in people is hard, I know, um, for many in the animal welfare field, but we have those stars and growing them to their full potential makes a big difference for for you and for them. If you uh, saw a stray cat on the street, what would you do? I don't like this answer because I'm, I like very black and white things. Um, but I think that's one of the things that's, there's so many gray areas. So my answer to that is it depends, which I really don't like that answer, but it really does depend. Um, if I'm living in my house and I see a cat that just shows up in my yard that hasn't been before, the first thing I would do is talk to my neighbors, which already when I tell people that, they're like, ooh, talk to my neighbors. I don't want to talk to my neighbors. Um, but that's really the most important thing because I actually did have this orange and white cat that I would see occasionally in my yard and I thought I, I can't approach this cat so I tried to approach it and wouldn't let me approach it so I thought what am I going to do so I went door to door I live in right on the corner
corner of Watertown and Newton. So it's a pretty urban, suburban environment, I guess. And people, a lot of people didn't answer their door, but one person did. And she said, oh yeah, our neighbor upstairs, that's his cat and he lets it outside. So right away I had my answer of, you know, this isn't a lost cat, this cat is owned. And then what do you do with that information? So, you know, how much did I want to insert myself? Like I'm from the MSPCA. And Mm -hmm. so what I said was, you know, I, I just, I didn't know if it was stray. I was thinking of bringing it into the shelter. Do you think if I knock back on the door again, do you know when he's around? Can I talk to him about maybe giving him, we got, we just got a big donation of collars and which I totally lied about. Maybe I can bring him a collar and a tag. And and then, and then I had the conversation when he was actually home about spay neuter and the cat was already neutered. So when probably if you asked me that question eight years ago, I would have tried to trap the cat and bring it into a shelter because obviously it's probably a lost cat. So, you know, it's hard. We can't ask the cats what situation they are in, whether they're lost and not where they should be and need to get back to their owner, whether they're an indoor outdoor cat or whether they're a cat that's no one's feeding. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned from community podcasts like this and also from webinars is that sometimes the best thing to do for a cat is is nothing and that when we bring it to a shelter, they're 13 times less likely, I believe, um, to end up back with their owner. And we see that here. So I think our return rate is around 8%, which is a lot higher than the national average of 3%, which we're proud of. But but that's still really low, obviously, 8%. I think the biggest thing is to reach out to your neighbors, um, to post flyers. If you can take a picture, posting flyers around to say, hey, is this an own cat? I know um, if you can actually touch the cat, putting a paper collar on the cat, which we have a thousand paper collars. So I know that could be a weird thing to say to someone, but you can come in and get a paper collar from us and just write, am I owned? Um, If so, call this number. And if you haven't heard from flyers or collars or asking around, then, you know, we are always here to try to see, you know, that cat might be microchipped too. So if it is easy to pick up, um, bringing it to a shelter to see if it's scanned and microchipped is a good idea too. And reporting it to the shelter is important too, because people do call us um, and fill out reports looking for their lost animal. And if it's just out there, then they won't know about it. But if you tell us about it, we can communicate that to them. So definitely reaching out to animal control and animal shelters to let them know, but start in your community because your community is probably caring for that cat and you just need to find the person that is if you're trying to help that cat. Bryn, how could people find you and find the MSPCA if they're interested in learning more about your programs? So I'm in the MSPCA in Boston and we're located at 350 South Huntington Ave in Jamaica Plain. Um, So you can come to us. Our open adoption hours are from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Tuesday through Friday and then 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. Um, And then to find me specifically, you can email me or call me. My email is brogers at mspca.org or my direct line is 617-541-5083. And Bryn, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Um, I just wanted to send a thank you out to you, Stacey, because I think um, all the work that you do, specifically in Boston when you live in Vermont, (laughs) is pretty amazing. But you're always encouraging collaboration, and I think that's such an important thing in our field. And I have learned so much from being able to meet other people who are working in the streets or working in other shelters or rescues throughout Massachusetts. So I thank you for that. And one thing I am totally stealing from somebody else, but I'm a big worrier. I just worry all the time. And so one of these quotes I heard from 
uh, webinar that Dr. Hurley did always stuck with me and I have it on my wall and I think about it all the time um, and it helps me sometimes when I'm worried about did I do the right thing for this cat so I'm going to read it and if you don't include it on the um, podcast that's okay but I just really like it and I refer to it a lot and it helps me through those times when I'm worrying about one cat or another. The quotes from um, The Tiger in the House which is a really old book that was written I think in the early 1900s from uh, Carl Van Vechten um, so it's very dramatic but I like it. Uh, after the cataclysm out of the mounds of heaped up earth the piles and wrecks of half buried cities the desolated fields of grain and the tortured orchards the cat will stalk confident self-reliant capable imperturbable and philosophical and basically what I take from that is cats can be okay they're incredibly adaptive creatures sometimes we just get in their way so um, giving them the chance to be where they are best and I I just like that quote because I refer to it a lot when I'm thinking about cats and what's the best thing to do for them so I hope that helps others sometimes realize that cats are going to be okay it's very powerful and I appreciate you sharing yeah yeah that's I'm not really a quote person to be honest I kind of am like oh you know fortune cookie let's move on but um, (laughs) that's really great and and it is nice and it's hard I mean cats need to be cats and that's not part of our controlling way of being in the people realm and we have to sort of let them be and it's hard it's very hard but that's great that's a great quote so I appreciate that very much Bryn I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show and I hope you're willing to be on the show in the future oh I would love to thank you Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.